Hi everyone, my name's Emma and this is Represent. Today I'm very excited to be joined by the Chief Data Officer for TfL, Transport for London, and I'm joined by Lauren Sager-Weinstein. Thanks so much for joining us on our sofa today, Lauren. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So Chief Data Officer for TfL, can you talk us through a normal day in the life? Right. So TfL, we are responsible for helping Londoners get to where they want to go. And so we connect the city. Um, and to do that, we have to think about all the journeys on our network. So it's a huge amount of transport across our network. And so, which is really exciting for me, that gives us lots and lots of data. So what does my day look like? Which is a really interesting question because you know, there's, there's a lot of difference in terms of what you're doing because as a chief data officer, a lot of what I want to do is sort of focus with my colleagues on the questions um, that will help them run our network better and how do we use data to get at those answers. And so from a practical point of view, um, there's lots of, of meetings to talk about that. Think about how you, we can create data tools to help us give this information in ways that people can understand what's going on on the network. Um, both for our office staff, for our frontline staff, and for our customers. So what I do really on a day-to-day basis is sort of sit in meetings, write emails, write proposals, um, look at prototypes of dashboards, and talk to people about what would be useful. And how big is your team at TfL? So I actually have about 100, so give or take. So we sort of flex between sort of sometimes 80 to about 100. Um, And it's a mix. So it's a mix of sort of data engineers sort of doing sort of the technical build work. Um, And we have um, a range of people we call data product managers. And their job is actually very similar to my job, which is to sort of really focus on how the data is going to be used, how it can be useful. And then we have visualizations of designers to sort of look at how we create dashboards to take this data in ways that people can sort of consume it. Um, And then I have a data science team as well. Fantastic. So very busy days. How do you how do you chill out after a day like that? So I sing in a choir. So I sing in a group called Voce, um, and I have been singing with them for a, a long time, really, since I first came to London. And we've done some really cool stuff. We got to sing um, uh, at the O2, um, and we sang with Stones. So that was, that was really cool. I'm sitting on the sofa with a pop star. Oh, my Lord, that's amazing. So that, I've got to say, is probably the highlight of what, yeah. we, of what we've done. Um, so you're obviously incredibly excited about the work that you do with data at TfL, but you haven't always been in technology correct? So it's interesting because my job has been this translator role. So, and it's, it's interesting to think about like, how did I get here? Because like, I don't do coding, you know, I know a little bit, but I actually wasn't trained as a coder. Um, I do some sort of analytics work, although I don't, you know, sort of the very, do it on a daily basis, I've, you know, but I have some training in, in sort of that sort of background of quantitative analytics. Um, but I've really been interested in sort of the management and policy and leadership and using information and analysis to make better, sort of better decisions. And so tech is really an enabler to do that. Um, and what is really excited to me is how we can use data to answer questions that we just couldn't answer before. And so I think in terms of my own journey, that's really sort of been where I've been in this sort of this middle point of always really comfortable with technology. Um, I grew up um, as sort of a, a kid from a science family of, of engineers on sort of both sides of my family of, of techie people. And, you know, I was definitely had sort of computer at home when I was growing up and, and sort of dabbling in sort of basic and things like that. 
And I was always kind of the person who was working in a policy or working government, public service mostly, um, but really comfortable with technology. And so I sort of ended up just sort of really pivoting from a very sort of pure strategy um, sort of type and delivery and sort of management type of role into something you know, that was much more sort of tech related. And first it was working on our Oyster uh, Oyster card back, um, you know, sort of back when we were just at Oyster and I was working on how do we bring contactless payment to London, which was sort of an exciting project. Um, and then as I was doing that, it was like really clear. There was all this really useful data that was coming out of our system. And we just knew, I just thought, oh, we've got to be able to do more with this. What could we do? What questions can we not answer today, but maybe we could answer tomorrow with data? Mm-hmm. And that ability to be this detective, like a data detective, was really what sort of helped me get from, you know, sort of working purely in a sort of a, a sort of a, like a, management type of role on in terms of, sort of governing, you know, government, government, governance and TFL into the really tech side of things. And that was where that really that sort of mix of like using technology to help solve problems is really where I see my my role today. Fantastic. I mean, what an exciting project to be brought on to first is your entrance to tech with the Oyster yeah. card. So that came in in 2003, correct me if I'm yep. wrong. Mm-hmm. That's right. And Really, it was the first time that TFL was able to track customer journey from tap in and tap out. So it's interesting because, you know, we brought in sort of the Oyster card and it was early on when I, I joined T- TFL in 2002. Um, and it was, you know, it was a change and it was solving a technology problem. So the problem we were trying to solve was really being a business problem, how to use technology to solve it. And the challenge was, is that London is growing. Um, we needed to collect revenue. We need to collect revenue quickly and efficiently. And so we had to get people through the gates. People were using magnetic tickets. And, you know, you probably, nobody really needs to use them anymore. And hopefully you don't, you don't, because it's like, they're slow. Uh, they're costly to sort of, to sort of maintain a, a ticketing system. And they're not particularly, you know, they're not, it's not a great sort of solution. It's an old solution. So we said, okay, how do we help our customers travel first with the Oyster card? And it helped customers speed through the gates. So you could get 30, 40 people through a gate line in a minute. And that's really fundamental at our busy stations. And so we did this, you know, other cities have done this too. We were not the first. Um, and it was a really good offering for our customers because our customers suddenly just were able to use pay as you go, put money on their card and travel. But, you know, this is again where you sort of say, how does first technology help you solve a problem? And then how does data help you? We said we should be able to do something more. And that was really the first sort of data project that I worked on at TFL was saying, okay, we have this information. Um, could we sort of understand first travel patterns better on the tube? And then could we understand how people are traveling in groups um, and in patterns over times a day, over days and weeks, and then plan our bus networks better? And so that was sort of the, the sort of the first big project that I used using sort of the data. Um, and the teams that worked with me on it were able to sort of demonstrate that, yes, this is a really rich data set to understand patterns across our network. Interesting. And you mentioned there you've got this incredible data set. Okay, so you're tracking people. Well, tracking around. is always like a tricky, a tricky world because <laughs> okay. people feel like you know, it's important to say, okay, you know, trust is so important to us, and so we we take very seriously all the customer information. So, 
we look at sort of patterns across the network. So we're measuring sort of, you know, sort of interactions with the system. And so, you know, and, and that's, I think, important because what we aren't doing is we're not like, you know, we're not sort of tracking and, and following people. But how do you sort of take this information and sort of like take, you know, all the different little small components of travel and big the build build the bigger picture. And so you have this huge sort of, these huge sort of patterns of people traveling all through and these sort of volumes and footfalls of, of the network. And how do you change, like, how do you make sense of that? And that's really, I think, really exciting. So from an individual perspective, I tap in at Elephant and Castle, Mm -hmm. I tap off at Archway and then I take the bus to Crouch End, right? That you're not going to know that that is Emma Rice, who lives in mm-hmm. Southwark, who has done that journey. You're just going to know that one of those journeys took place at that time. Well, we so we look at it in a different way. So we do need to know that it's you, so that if you had a problem, so you know, occasionally, you know, people will have have if you didn't if you didn't tap out by mistake and you and you sort of got an overcharge in your journey, you you know, we would be able we'd want to make sure that you were able to sort of get get the money back in your journey. Um, if there's a problem on the network, um, you could claim for a, sort of a delay. Um, if your sort of journey was really, really slow. So we do need to know it's you. Um, we also, if you're putting money, you know, either money in an Oyster card or using your bank card, we need to charge you properly. And so we do, what we do with that is in our data, in our data platform, we sort of have sort of hashing uh, techniques to sort of basically scramble your ID so that, so that we're protecting privacy on that. And that it's really cool sense. because you then want to understand how many people are traveling from here to there. Mm-hmm. Could you provide different bus services that would be better for people? Um, can you change the route to make it easier to transfer between one bus and another bus? Um, what's the frequency we should be offering for services? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so it went from Oyster to contactless. Yeah. What's next? What are we going to be? Am I going to get on the tube with my contact lenses soon? What's going on for the future of using the transport network in London? So we had, you know, it's interesting. Back in 2004 and five, we were sort of saying, okay, what could you do with this? You know, one of the things... Fingerprints? Uh, well, but, you know, do you really want to be... No. You know, so that's the question. Like, do people really want to be giving that information? Mm. You know, you want to have that sort of flexibility in the network. So some people can be known to us and we encourage that. So, you know, we could if you sign up for an email, we can give you an, an email that either says if you want to get information about like things to do in London, we send out a great coronation weekend one. If you don't want to get that, we can send you a service one that sort of tells you relevant information about where you're going to go because there's certain places that we wouldn't send an information to you if you're in a part of London. Um, it, that's hap- things that are happening in another part of London. So we kind of, you know, we want to have some connection with you because we want to give you a better customer service. But, you know, we are, we're providing sort of services for the public and we want to protect people's privacy. Um, so I don't think that there'd be, I just don't see any ap- public appetite or any sort of any appetite for anybody wanting to sort of give out that level of sort of information. Um, so how do you make it easy and seamless to travel, but not, not creepy? Um, you know, it's not, you know, we're a public transport agency. We want to be open to everybody to travel and be comfortable about the information that they're sharing with us. Interesting. I'm thinking about future tech. How are you guys using AI and ML at the same time? So this is, you know, this is really sort of a, a, an emerging area. And I feel like I'll say something today and something tomorrow is going to change. Um, yeah, there's, it's, it's very exciting. 
Um, but there's also just a lot of questions. And I think, you know, first of all, how can we sort of use some of this machine machine learning and some of the sort of the things to automate uh, some of the processes that we have? How do we do better um, in terms of thinking about, you know, when you want to do a repair on our network and our system could be do better sort of reliability assessments on our network so that we know when to send engineers out to places? Um, can we control our roads better by having better understanding about flows on our network and highlighting incidents when they happen, um, you know, right as they happen and giving us, giving our sort of people who sort of manage our network better information is a, what we call decision support tool. So I think there's a huge opportunity with that. Um, I think there's a huge question about what's going to happen with the sort of the growth of sort of AI techniques. Um, how will this change? And I think there's still, there's a lot of questions right now. And how do you think about this both with your ethical framework um, and also from a practical point of view, which questions are most important to answer? What, you know, how do you think about trying things out um, to do prototypes of new technology? And then when there's a business case, what do you do with it? And you mentioned there about the Oyster card, you know, London not being the first city to bring this in. And I'm interested as to how London compares with other city transport systems. I'm thinking Japan and South Korea. Do you look to other countries for inspiration, especially around the way that data is being used? So we do. And actually, I was just in Seoul um, a few weeks ago. Um, I went, there was a sort of a, an exchange and I went, uh, uh, the British embassy sort of asked me to come with a small delegation from London to talk about smart cities. Um, and it was really sort of very interesting because um, we were meeting with a sort of the sort of infrastructure sort of uh, team and sort of land transport in for the Korean government. And you know, it is, it's always great to get out there and to sort of see how another city approaches a problem. And, you know, and I, and actually particularly when you've been in London for so long now, I mean, I, so you can probably tell from my accent, I didn't grow up in London, but I've been here now over 20 years. And so uh, it's always good to sort of go out and explore and sort of learn from others. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting in Korea, when I was in Seoul talking to the South Korean government is that there's a real focus on, on sort of the technology infrastructure investment. And they say, okay, we're going to build this, we can see the case, we're going to just go quickly. Um, and that was really that like sort of that's just drive for sort of progress and, and saying there's an opportunity here. We're going to seize it. We're just going to make it happen. That that sort of enthusiasm and sort of drive was really, was actually very inspiring to say, okay, yeah, we can just do this. Because sometimes, you know, there's, London is so big, it's so complicated, um, and we do so much, but it's been it's been a challenging couple of years, as you can probably imagine, coming out of COVID. How do I use data and how do I use tech to solve our problems? Because London is growing, London is changing, and how do we use technology to be on the, on the forefront? So I learned, I, I thought that was really helpful when I was in Korea. Absolutely. And I mean, TFL, you just had your birthday this year, right? So the so. tube, so the tube is 160 years Jeez. old and it, which is very exciting. So TFL had, um, our 20th anniversary back in 2020. Um, so, uh, uh, but so TFL is, is, a, is a much is sort of a younger organization of being sort of a very integrated transport network. Um, but the tube, you know, it was very exciting to sort of look and think, think about our heritage. So, um, you think about the way that it's shaped the city and I think I think, you know, for me, I find it really inspiring how transport infrastructure and how connecting people so they can get to where they want to go to 
really sort of helps us sort of build and develop um, and sort of grow as a city and, and this, how the fundamental role that TFL plays and the Tube has played for many years and how TFL now plays um, in terms of getting people to sort of think about connections with not only the Tube, but bus and walking and cycling. Um, it's I find it really exciting. So it was a great anniversary and I've got my little um, 160 Love the Tube oh, pin I on. I love it. It goes so well. My trousers I know. are still one of those. <laughs> and you can feel the history when yes. you're, you know, when you're on the Tube, especially the Bakerloo line, I will say. <laughs> you can definitely feel the history. Do you know the story about the announcer and the, would yes. you like to tell that story? So, okay. It's such a lovely so, story. So this is um, Adam Bankman's statement. Sorry, it's at Embankment Station. And um, and this is actually, I love the story because um, this was a call that came in back to our contact center. And the widow of the announcer um, had called us and had said, I notice you've changed the announcement at Embankment Station. And the person said, yes, yes, we did. We've, you know, we've updated all of our recordings. And she said, would you mind if I could get a recording of this? And he said, okay. And she said, because this was my husband. And he died many years ago. But I still love going to Embankment Station um, and listening to his voice. And I understand you've updated the, the announcements, but um, could I just get a, a sort of recording so I can play it at home? And so our contact center team uh, sort of took that away and said, oh, let me find out. And actually, we said, you know what? We need to put this this announcement back, and so the announcement is back at the station. Um, and so it is a different announcement than uh, than the other pre recorded announcements. Um, but yeah, you go and you feel that sort of sense of history, and you feel what I also love about the story is that it's like a, you really feel the connection to people and people sort of making people making your network, people building transport infrastructure um, in all sorts of ways, people building tech in all sorts of ways, and like how you know we're building cool stuff, but it really comes down to people. I just love that story so much. So if you haven't been through Embankment Station, I would definitely recommend it and take a listen out. Um, so you're building a network for everybody. And so diversity obviously has to be completely yeah. at the core of building out your tech teams. Why is it so important that we get more women working in transport and tech in transport? Yeah, so we have we have a challenge here, right? Because in the transport uh, sector, you know, women we don't have as many women as, as are reflected in society. Um, in the tech sector, again, a problem where we need to get more women to, to, in, to represent as we as we do in society, the represent in tech. So both of these are areas where I've been really sort of very keen to help support and grow and encourage women. So I'm on our board of there's a group called Women in Transport, and I was one of the founding members back in 2005, and I'm on the sort of the board to help shape that and and. So so for there, we're doing a fair amount of sort of uh, thinking about leadership training, thinking about sort of mentoring, thinking about how do we sort of support each other. Um, and both women and men are really involved in terms of helping uh, develop women to, in the sort of the industry. And then, of course, on the tech side, it's also really important. And how do we how do we support women getting into tech um, at all different all different types of roles in tech? So how do we encourage sort of women and how do we encourage girls um, to sort of to, to study um, to sort of in schools to sort of to study sort of uh, sort of uh, subjects that will help them sort of get confident and comfortable. And I love talking about how do you do that because I have strong opinions. Um, and then also, you know, if you haven't studied it in, in school, how do you enter? How do you gain the skills? How do you sort of think about coding skills? How do you think about the other soft skills that are fundamental? So this thing, the work that I do, which is not technical, but is fundamental for tech and data, which is that sort of thinking about the questions, framing the sort of questions, uh, sort of delivering the right tools. Um, and how, how do you sort of help 
help women um, sort of do that because we bring, you know, the more people you have, the more diversity brings different perspectives and it's fair. So that's what we need to do. Absolutely. And you're talking there about women who are wanting to potentially upskill as well. So this September, we are releasing our mid-level uh, career accelerator, which we're very excited about, which is eight weeks of intensive training for our community who are either tech returners or they're women who are already in technology, but they want to kind of super speed their careers, <laughs> if you like. Now, for you as a career switcher, if you yep. like, coming from a place where you weren't traditionally STEM beforehand, how has lifelong learning, if we can call it that, really impacted your career trajectory? So I've so I've done it formally and I've done it informally, right? So I've done both sort of programs to sort of say, okay, you know, when I was early on my career, I worked for a few years and then I went and I did sort of a graduate degree um, and I knew at that time, because I'd been working for the city of LA, I knew I was very interested in transport, um, but I had some specific skills I wanted to sort of get more comfortable with um, and on the sort of the analytics side. So I did skills with that in my graduate degree from a postgraduate sort of a, I was basically policy, public policy degree. Um, but I also knew that like I wanted some sort of leadership and management. And, and I, so I did it through a formal program at first, but it's got to be more, I think, than just formal. Um, I think there's also a huge opportunity for sort of informal learning as you go. And in fact, you know, you don't, you get very stale if you were to sort of just learn and then go off and work and then wait and not do learning. So I think the lifelong learning idea is absolutely crucial, particularly in tech, particularly in data right now. Everything is changing. Um, I think the hardest challenge sometimes, at least for me personally, is that you're so busy how do you build the time to sort of step away and think about it? And so I think that's one of the things that that I have been thinking about. Okay, I've been learning and, and sort of developing and particularly thinking about where the industry is going. But how do I make sure I sort of I spend enough time thinking about it rather than trying to solve so many problems, which obviously you need to do, but how do you sort of build in the time to, to reflect and learn um, as well? You have to be so disciplined. Yeah. It's so difficult, you know, whether or not that's taking out half an hour in the morning and building into your routine that you're just reading uh, reports and network uh, yeah. things when you're having your coffee in the morning. How Practically, how do you do it currently? How do you stay ahead of the game? I mean, so you know, there's a couple there's a couple sort of productivity writers I really like. Um, and some of them have given, there's a, a woman called Laura Vanderkam who really talks about like some of the techniques to, to build this into your time and to think about the time and think about how you're using you know, the time in your day. And I found that really personally very sort of helpful for me to be like, okay, this is important. I'm going to build my time around doing it. And it's exactly that. And, you know, in some days it is sort of like just taking a morning and doing that. Some days it's sort of like deciding, okay, I need some thinking time. I'm going to walk and think. Um, and then sometimes it's just sort of saying, okay, I, I put aside stuff to read because I want to be on top of things. I'm going to put aside I'm going to actually spend the time now and read it. So I think different things will work for different people. Um, you know, one of the things that I've also been keen to do working with my team is build in that sort of that time for learning in sort of our team. So our data scientists have like time where they've set aside a sort of time for sort of learning and, and learning new techniques. And they also sort of come together once a week with sort of knowledge shares where someone will say, okay, this is what I, this is not only what I learned because they went away and learned it, but this is how I'm going to share with the rest of the team. And that's really also fundamental too, um, so that you sort of bring it back to sort of share your learning with, with others. Um, and our data engineers that do this too. And we've, we're looking at things like career paths. And so being able to sort of say, okay, this is the sort of work you're doing today. Where, where would you like to go? How do you manage your career? How do we help you? How do we help you with the technical skills? And how do we help you with the non-technical skills? So is it, would you like to sort of get used to giving presentations because, you know, you want to work on that? Um, is it sort of getting a chance to sort of manage and mentor? Is it you know, things like that? And so that's sort of the way that we sort of think about building up our team and developing them. 
Absolutely. And I just want to empower our community, you know, if to, to have that confidence to turn around to your employer and say, hey, look, I need it. I need half an hour every morning just to build up my knowledge in this. I think it'd be mm-hmm. really beneficial. You know, if your employer has your best interest at heart, then they'll want to see you upskilling. Yeah. They'll want to see you investing in your future knowledge. And ultimately, that means it's that good you're, for everybody. It's yeah. good for everyone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that's so interesting. I think Thinking about your own time as far as a currency as well is so important because, you know, you get to a certain level in your career and you are so busy that taking that time out to think about how yeah. can I not just live in the present, but think about a couple of steps forward is is super key. I've got a couple of questions from our community, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, one of them is, she says, hi, I'm a junior software developer. What could my career look like at TFL? So it sort of depends on the sort of area that you're interested in. So I'll talk a little bit about both. So from my data team, you know, we are building sort of products. Um, so for I sort of mentioned, for example, the sort of the understanding travel patterns, we have a sort of a suite of products called Journeys and Demand. Um, and that is sort of understanding how busy our stations are. Um, it's understanding where people are traveling over the course of the day. And we also understanding how people are sort of traveling on the bus, um, because on the bus in London, you tap on when you enter the bus. But you don't have to tap off. So how do we know, um, you know, what the patterns are like on the bus? We have a sort of a, an algorithm called ODX, which um, basically uses sort of bus telemetry data along with ticketing data to, to sort of set out the patterns of where a bus is going. Um, we have, you know, we have sort of other products to sort of think about um, how the roads road network works. And so we have have those sorts of data products that we're sort of building, building out. Um, and then we also sort of, that's sort of the data side, but we're also sort of building tools in general because like, you know, it's not only the sort of the understanding What's happening? It's how do you collect the revenue on the on the on the on the network? Um, how do you build sort of control systems? How do you sort of engineer things? Of which um, you know the software engineering um, and software development. You can sort of you can also sort of work in both sort of the data side. You can work on sort of application website development. We have TFL Go, which is our our app that it gives customer information um, and or engineering within the actual sort of engineering fields. It's very become very software driven as well. So there's a lot of opportunities to come and work on sort of interesting projects. Um, and then, you know, as I sort of mentioned before, we're really eager for to sort of develop and grow our teams and give people a chance to sort of say, okay, you know, here I'm coming in. Um, how do I build my career? How do I work across different areas? How do I get specialisms? And how do I, uh, how do I get develop skill sets, but also not get pigeonholed? So um, there's a lot. Um, and we're, of- we're always hiring. <laughs> no surprise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sounds fascinating. Yeah. I might just pop over. I just right? need to learn how to be a software developer first. Um, we've got to wrap up because of time, but just one final question. Mm-hmm. When we ask this to all of our interviewees, if you had the chance to read one book again, what book would that be? And so why? I, yeah, I was thinking about this because like, I guess I'm going to say there's two. So there's the book, there's a book called Crabgrass Frontiers, which is kind of that aha moment that I had. Um, which was about how transport is really the connecting tissue of developing cities. So that like moment was like, oh, I really want to work work in this area. It's fantastic. Um, but in terms of loving, I love literature, I love reading, and I love fiction. So I really also have to say, okay, what's the what's one of those books I've just loved and have read a lot of times? And Anne of Green Gables uh, so is a, was one of those sort of books that I read as a child, and that sort of uh, the sort of the the sort of the story and the sort of this that sort of heroic sort of spirit and that sort of like different ways of looking at the world um, that sort of Anne had is something that I always really enjoyed. And I, I love that book. I was going to say great heroine to yes. have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and final question. 
If you could share one word of wisdom with your younger self, what would that be? I mean, I, so I had never expected that I would end up in London. <laughs> um, uh, and so I think that first of all, like when you're really thinking about like doing hard work and working hard, being sort of flexible about the work you want to do and like, so working hard and having a plan, but also not being totally wedded to it because life takes you in all sorts of different places. Um, and so I think that like, I would still go back and tell myself, yeah, work hard, but be open to possibilities because you'll never know where you end up. That's great. Great note to end on. Thank you so much, Lauren. And thank you for sharing your story and fascinating to hear about what you're working on at TFL. Oh, thanks so much. This is great fun. Thank you.